Well, good morning, church family. How are you today? Man, I'm so glad to see you. So many familiar and new faces. Welcome to Clear Creek. My name is Josh. I am one of the ministers here. It is just a privilege to get to celebrate Jesus together with you today. And to all of our online friends and family, welcome. We're glad that you're joining us as we begin this new series through the very short but very dense letter of First John. We're going to dive in here in just a moment, but before we do, I just want to celebrate two weddings that happened yesterday. Yesterday, Logan Gaither married his sweetheart Morgan, and Colby Arendale married Caitlin. And so I don't think they're here today. They should not be here today. But can we just give a little love and just celebrate? So good, so good. And to all the friends and family, we celebrate you today as well. And I want to start this morning with a very simple question. Here's the question. Raise your hand if this applies to you. Ready? Here's the question. Have you ever given or ever received a love letter? Let's just see it. Come on, romantics. Love letter. Anyone here? Yeah? Yeah? Okay, keep the hand up. Keep the hand up. Hold on. Hold on. I want to ask you a question. Keep your hand up if this applies to you. Ready? Did you ever give a love letter in which you asked for a response? Come on, anyone in here? You know what I'm talking about, right? Not, am, am I really like the only one? Okay. You know what I'm talking about? It's the, and, and look, look, I'm not a poet, but it's like, you know, uh, roses are red, violets are blue. I love you. I do, 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 right? You're just like, oh. And then, and then you ask the question, right? It's the check yes or no. Do you like me too, right? Did anyone else do that? Anyone else have PTSD from the person not writing Yes. Right? Or maybe they don't write yes or no. They put like a third category of I'll think about it. And you're like, what's there to think about? I mean, come on, right? You know, it's an interesting thing, this idea of love. And we're going to talk a lot about it because there's this truth that we were wired for love, to give love, to receive love, that God has made us. Whether you believe there's a God or not, isn't, there tr- isn't it true that we all are wired for love? Think about some of the most famous movies of the past century. How many of them have to do with this man and this woman finding one another? Maybe they go from enemies to frenemies to in love. Or maybe there's this moment where life is falling apart and two unlikely people find one another. Or how many of us see those movies or those shows where maybe it's apparent to a child and they're united? There's this love relationship, this bond that is created through a series of challenges. And so even in our very secular entertainment, we all acknowledge and feel deep in our bones that we were made for love. And I want you to understand, the church of Jesus Christ is the church of Jesus Christ and living out the will of Jesus Christ when we deeply love one another and receive love from one another. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to look at this beautiful, powerful little letter and see what God may have to say to us now 2,000 years ago, half a world away. Because what is said in these few letters, in few words, apply to us together today. So if you have your Bibles, grab them and turn with me to the letter of 1 John. You say, where is that? Go to the very end of the Bible, and then come back like three books. So Revelation, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John. Now, while you're turning there, if you want to start taking some notes, here's your very first note. 1 John is a love letter. 1 John is a love letter. You say, why is 1 John a love letter? Here's the reason 1 John is a love letter. The word love is used 45 times in this one little letter. 
Let me just give you a few examples of the many places where love is used. For instance, John 4, 8. God is, let's say this word together, love. God is love. What about this passage from chapter 3 and verse 1? See what great love, yeah, the Father has lavished, poured, granted, just kind of overwhelmed us with. This is how, verse 16, this is how we know what, say that word, love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, or this passage in John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us, say the skin, love one another for what? Love comes from God. And let's do one more. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. In other words, if you're experiencing this, you need more of this. If you're experiencing fear of what may come, you need to experience more of what God has given. If you're feeling this, you need to remember that nothing can separate, as Paul says, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That heaven, hell, angels, demons, nothing can separate you, including the worst thing the world has to offer. It cannot separate you from the love of God. And when you know that, not here, but in your bones, it changes how you step into life. We're going to talk about love. But before we do, we've got to talk about the one who wrote this little letter. So pop quiz, you ready? Here's the pop quiz. Church, go ahead and call it out when you know, but first question, you ready? Who wrote the letter of first? John. John. Way to go, brilliant people. Yes. Not, not, not a trick question. Yes, John is the author of first John, and we're not really creative when it comes to our letters in the Bible, but John, the author, and he writes to the collection of house churches and churches all over the city of Ephesus, and he's writing to a group of people between the 80s and 90s AD. This is somewhere between 50 and 60 years after Christ ascends and goes back to the Father, and he's writing to this church that has undergone an incredible level of difficulty, not because of external persecution, But as we're going to read in the text over the next few weeks, some within the body, some within those house churches have given up on God and given up on the body. And they've left. And now those who are left are kind of second-guessing. Is this true, what we believe? And if it is true, how do we live this out well? And so John is going to give us guardrails for how do we know this is true and how do we live it out well? John. Let's talk about the author because I think it's important to know who sent the letter before we get into the letter. John is one of the 12 apostles. He is the last one to die. He lives, we believe, at least into the mid-90s, maybe even to about 100 or 105 A.D. He was an old man. Now, of the 12 apostles, he was the only one to die a natural death. The other 11 apostles either committed suicide, that's Judas or were executed for their faith. They became martyrs. That word martyr comes from a Greek word which means witness because they were witnessing to others about God and others didn't like what they were saying. They were killed for their faith. In fact, John's brother James was the second Christian to be martyred for his faith. So John knows what it's like at the cost of following Jesus, but he is going to tell us that if you understand the love of God, it will change everything, including giving you courage for today. No matter what has happened, it'll give you courage for today. He became what is known as the Bishop of Ephesus. Let me rewind the tape so we get a little context. There, at the foot of Jesus' cross, John stands, Mary, the mother of Jesus, standing next to him. And Jesus, do you remember, gives John his final marching orders. He says, John, this is now your mama. You take care of her. 
Mama, this is now your son. He's going to watch out for you. And there, in those 30s AD, John obeys Jesus and he takes his mama to live with him. And eventually, within a few years, he moves with Mary to the city of Ephesus. And the churches that had been established by the Apostle Paul are now governed and loved on and led by John. Just a little side note. How amazing would it be to go to a church whose preacher was an apostle of Jesus Christ? I mean, how cool would that be? Instead of it being like, well, hey, let's turn into your Bibles to First John, he'd be like, let me tell you, when I woke up that one morning and we had breakfast with Jesus and, and we had this conversation, how would that have been? That he gets a twinkle in his eye when he begins to share the stories and the moments and even the heartaches of following this man who is more than just a man. How would it be, ladies, to be a part of the Ephesian women's ministry? You've got Mother Mary there. You're not listening to lessons by, um, you know, by Priscilla Schreier or Beth Moore. No, you have Jesus' mommy doing your ladies' Bible school. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it would just be a great church to be part of. And as the church grew, he was not just the leader or the elder over one church. He began to care for all the churches there in the city of Ephesus, so he became the bishop. And during the course of his leadership, he wrote, at least that we have recorded in the Scriptures, five little books or letters. Other than for the Apostle Paul, John wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else. And he writes to tell people who this Jesus is, and that is what we call the gospel according to John. It's not John's gospel, it's the gospel according to John. He's saying this is the good news of Jesus Christ, let me tell you about him. He wrote to a church that needed encouragement, and that letter is the book of Revelation, which we will go through next after we finish this. We're going to go right into the book of Revelation for a couple months. And then to his little church family there in Ephesus, this wonderful church, he writes not one, not two, but three letters addressing them so that they know that they can have hope and so that they keep focused on what is most important. Now, because of John's tender language, after all, he says, love, 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 love. And he calls the people in his church little children. Isn't that precious? He speaks to them, he's like, my, my children, my little children, love one another. Because of the way that he spoke so tenderly, to his church, John has gained a nickname. You ready for the nickname? He has become known as the Apostle of Love. What a cool name, the Apostle of Love. But how many of us know that's not the only nickname that John has? If you go back in time about 60 years, 50 to 60 years, Jesus gives John and his brother James, another nickname. In fact, in Mark chapter 3, verse 17, you can read the nickname, but don't worry, I will tell you the nickname. You ready for it? He says, you too will be called Boanerges. You're like, yeah, great nickname. Good job, Jesus. You're like, what does that even mean? Okay, here's the English version. You ready? You are sons of thunder. And I love this phrase. Now listen, this is just... I was talking to someone earlier who came to the first service, and he said, I had no idea what you're talking about with what I'm about to say. So, this is a generational statement. Hang with me for just a second. How many of you grew up um, in the 80s? Anyone in here, 80s kids? Okay, maybe 90s kids, anyone? Some, okay, when I hear Sons of Thunder, this is what I think of. 
an epic wrestling, excuse me, wrestling tag team of the 80s. So when I hear Sons of Thunder, I envision John in the ring in a chokehold. He's trying to tag his brother James in. James straining over the wire, over the, the cord, and he tags in, and now James brings the thunder. So they come out, they've got the the hair flare, they've got the tassels. This is what I think of when I think of James and John, the sons of thunder. Now here's my question. How do we go from thunder to love? What is the gap between love and thunder? What is the gap between who he is and who he was? In other words, maybe we'd ask it this way, what happened? What is the difference between 30s A.D. John and 90s A.D. John. You say, now why did Jesus give him this nickname? Why? Let me give you one example. Look it up later. Luke chapter 9, there's this moment where Jesus sends out his followers and they're making preparations and some of them go to a Samaritan town and they tell people about Jesus, but the Samaritans don't really care. In fact, they treat Jesus, not just his followers, but they treat Jesus badly. And so James and John say to Jesus, Jesus, what do you say that... uh, James and I, you know, what if we call down fire from heaven and just blow them up for you? By the way, how many of you have ever been driving down the interstate here in Chattanooga and wished you had that superpower? Dear Lord, and you just keep driving. Isn't it true that all of us have a little thunder in us? Something about ourselves, the way that we are wired, maybe it's the way we were raised, or maybe it's just the way that we've chosen to live, that there is some thunder in us. And the question I want us to address for the next few minutes is, what takes a person who lives a thunderous life? By the way, thunder can play itself out in a lot of ways, can't it? Maybe it's with a temper. Maybe it's with retreating when you need to engage. Thunder can also be things like just the ways we use. Some of us have mastered weaponizing our language, haven't we? You know the perfect thing to say at just the right time. It slips past the armor of the other person's protection and it gets them right there. And like, oh. And still in the church, isn't it true that some of us, we use our thunderous feelings, but we don't direct it at the person. Rather, we just talk about the person. We gossip. Or what about the relationships that some of us have where we're just thunderous because we do not engage people. We pull away. What is it that changed? What happened? between love and thunder. Because here's the truth. Before we give the answer, I need to address two two truths that I have found to be 100% always accurate. Are you ready? Here's the first one. The first truth is, people don't grow kinder just because they grow older. Can I get an oh yeah from anyone? Have you noticed that just because you get older, it doesn't mean that you automatically get nicer? Now, I didn't know this growing up because I had a granny who was always old in my mind. And I assumed that by the... By the way, does anyone else have a granny? Anyone else here? My parents, when we had kids, my mom said, I will not be called a granny because that's an old person's name. And I'm like, well, if the shoe fits. But she said, no, no, it's like the Beverly... Don't, I did not say that because I still want to go home some days. And so... But isn't it true? I, so I thought, man, all older people must be nice. By the time you get to that age where your hair is permed out like this, you sit under one of those weird helmet things at the beauty salon. Anyone know what I'm even talking about here? Yeah? The hair magically turns blue. I don't know what happens. By the time you hit a certain age, you must be nice. That's what I thought until I started driving. 
First time that this idea was absolutely shattered was when I started driving, age 16, driving down Interstate 65, Nashville. I'm terrified, first time on my own, hands, 10, 2, eyes, back, forth, looking at all the mirrors over my shoulder. I need to change lanes, so I indicate it with my signal. As I'm coming over, out of nowhere, a Buick the size of a boat with four wheels comes by Horn blaring, I move so paint isn't exchanged. Now, I expect to see the face of a very angry young person. Instead, what I saw was just the top of the head of this little old woman who had to be over 90. Now, she lifted her mouth up so I could see that she was not saying, God bless you, as she went by. Hands are flailing, things are being shown, horn going, and she keeps going. I turn white going, I met an evil granny. Now, what is my point? We don't just grow older just because, or kinder because we grow older. Because here's truth number two. Time doesn't change who we're becoming. Time doesn't change who you're becoming. Time, simply more time, will not change who you are becoming. Rather, time magnifies who we are becoming. Let me give you an example. Let's take an image of an airplane traveling from Los Angeles to New York City. Why? We don't know. They're just choosing to go there. And another airplane leaves from Los Angeles to go to New York City. Now, this airplane, its nose is off by, let's just say, one degree. Now, it is a very small change. But if you will track it over the course of those miles, by the time they get to their destination, it is not New York City. Rather, they will land in Dover, Delaware. That's 150 miles off target. Why? Because time does not change where you're going. It magnifies where you're going. Let's give a couple more examples. How many of us, don't raise your hand, how many of us here would like to lose a little weight? Don't raise your hand, just kind of, okay. Isn't it true? You take two people, one person puts down the candy bar every day, or that bowl of ice cream, oh man, ice cream. But another person picks it up. Small change looks like no difference, but over time, time simply magnifies who you're becoming, and you can tell by the scale, can't you? I mean, how many of us have gotten on the scale, and it went, right? Okay. Or let's take another one. What about finances? Isn't it true that one person can put away $250 a month? Small amount, maybe, but over the course of a lifetime, it takes you in one direction. Someone else takes that same amount of money every month, and over the course of their lifetime, radically different places. Why? Because time magnifies who we're becoming. So simply growing older does not mean that you will become kinder, more loving, more forgiving, more gracious, or others-centered. This is why you and I, we can sit in church for 50 years and not become kinder, but become more ugly as we get older. Because the direction you're facing, time doesn't change it. It simply magnifies it. Do we all sort of track on this one? And so what we're going to see here is a big question because going from thunder to love does not happen, hear me now, it does not happen automatically. Going to church does not change a heart. Sitting in this room does not change a heart. So the question is, what happened? And John is going to give us the answer in the first four verses of chapter 1. Did you notice what he said? Look, look at these words. He says, that which was from 
the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning, now notice this, the word of life. Now, quick question, church. This W in word, is it lowercase or uppercase? Uppercase. Why? He is not talking about a thing or an event. He is saying what we are now sharing with you is Jesus. I want to tell you about the one who brings life. And he's using poetic language. By the way, go read John chapter 1, not 1 John, but John chapter 1, and you'll see parallels between this and that. And so he's talking to the people about who Jesus is, and he's saying, I've seen him, I've touched him, I have heard his voice. And he goes on with these words. The life, uppercase L, appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, meaning Jesus has always existed, and has appeared to us. He came as a man, appearing to them, did he not? We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. This is the secret from going from thunder to love. You say, what is the secret? I don't get it. Here's the secret. Go back one verse. Go We have heard. We have seen, not with someone else's testimony, but our eyes. I saw Jesus. Like, like I did not just rely on what someone else said. I have seen Jesus. And not only that, we looked at him, and our hands have touched him. This is who we proclaim. He goes on. Notice, we have seen it. He has appeared to us. And so we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. In other words, what changes John from thunder to love is not second-hand relationship. It is first-hand experience. How many of us, if we're honest, and and, and listen, if this is you, don't feel guilty. Rather, this is good news because now we know the degree to shift. But how many of us have lived most of our Christian lives off of second-hand relationships. So you hear about Jesus from your mama and daddy. By the way, I'm so thankful for so many good mamas and daddies who share Jesus with their kids. Are you thankful for good parents, church? Yeah. But at some point, Johnny and Susie and all the others need to go from a second-hand relationship to a personal relationship with Jesus, saying, I have seen him, I have heard him with my own ears, and I have touched him with my hands. And the problem is so many of us never get away from second-hand relationship. We need first-hand experience and a first-hand encounter with Jesus Christ. You want to know what changed everything from John? Because before John is going to tell us how to live together, he's going to say, I want you to see my life is a case study of how Jesus can take the most thunderous personality, the most thunderous attitude, the most thunderous lifestyle, and bring about a radical, supernatural change. And the case study is when you see him, when you hear him, and when you touch him. These are the words. When you have seen Jesus, heard Jesus, and touched Jesus, that is what changed. Next slide. This is what changes in our lives. He saw him. He heard him. He touched him. Now, here is the question. This is real easy for John to say because John lived when Jesus was on earth. How many of us, how many of us, 
at moments kind of wish that we just had Jesus in the flesh. Holy Spirit, great, but I really wish I had Jesus. Anyone else honest enough to say, I wish Jesus would walk through these doors so I could give him a hug, I could hear from him, ask him my questions. So how do we do this? Because John is about to say, this is how I went from thunder to love. This is why I'm a different person. And this is how it happens. So how does it happen for us if we can't see him, touch him, feel him personally? And here is the answer. We actually can. You say, really? Yes. Are you ready? Let me give you two things this morning. Number one, if you want to hear Jesus, if you want to see Jesus, you need to know Jesus by listening to Jesus and seeing him in the word of God. I know we talk about this, and it's often one of those things we hear this, we go, yeah, of course, read your Bible. And some of us, because it is so dry to us, we kind of go, I, I just don't get it. I don't love it. It's hard to do it. Is anyone else here, including your preacher, honest enough to say, some days I don't want to read the Bible? Anyone else feel that way? I, this is up not as an example, but because I some days don't want to read the Bible. By the way, is it safe for your preacher to be honest in the church? But here's what I need you to know. You can see him and you can hear him. Do you understand that when you open the word of God, you get to see what Jesus values. You get to see who God is. Jesus tells us, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. You want to know who God is? You look at the life of Jesus Christ. You can hear the voice of God through Jesus Christ. Because here's the reality. If you'll listen to someone carefully, you will discover what they value. Isn't it true that if you just listen carefully, you can discover what anyone values? Let me give you an example of this. Real-life example happened yesterday. Our daughter, Emma, she is visiting her grandparents. She'll be there for about a week. So Lindsay drops Emma off halfway with her mom meeting. Emma's up in Indiana having a great time. Now, my wife is a brilliant woman for a number of reasons, but here's one. Our daughter, Emma, we love her. She has a ton of great traits, but here's one that eh, we're working on. Are you ready? Two words, pack rat. Anyone else know a pack rat? Anyone else a pack rat? Anyone else married to? No, don't, actually don't do that one, okay. So my, my sweet wife, she goes into Emma's bedroom. As soon as Emma's gone, Lindsay gets back home. Last night, she starts tearing through stuff. She's like, here's a stack of papers, like little cutout things, a heart here, a star there, a note here, something that we're not even sure what this thing is, but she has it, and she loves it. And so Lindsay finds a bunch of them. They're just really great. She found one, though, and I'm going to summarize, but here's basically what it said. It was a letter or a note to Emma's stuffed animal puppy dog, Brownie. Dear Brownie, I love you so much. And I love the sound of your bark. It's like, <laughs> do, we, do we need to like go get you checked out? I mean, like, what's going on here? Now, joking aside, what do we learn about this little girl? That she has a treasure that she values so much, but not only is it a treasure, in her mind, this little stuffed animal is alive and has personality, and they are friends. Isn't it true that if you listen to someone, even things that may seem completely off the wall, you can know what someone thinks or believes if you will simply listen to what they say. So when Jesus says things like, come unto me, all you who are weary and heaven laden, and I will give you rest. You hear the heart of the Father saying, you were not designed to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. So come to me, kids. 
You hear the heart of the Father when he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. What would it cost and what would it take for you to give a child, one of your kids, so that others could live? You hear the words of the Father through the voice of Jesus Christ. If you want to hear Jesus, if you want to see Jesus, become familiar with the voice of Jesus. Know the word of God because as you do, it can only soften your heart if you are walking with him. If you want to see him, you want to hear him, you read the scriptures. But if you want to touch him, now that's a matter altogether different, isn't it? You go, well, yeah, I can read, but where do I get a touch? And the answer, again, is in Matthew 25. Jesus gives us the answer. You want to touch me? You want to be close to me? Here's the answer. Jesus says, in the last day when God comes and judgment day appears where God is welcoming those who love him and those who have said, I don't want anything to do with you, he is sending them to where they have chosen to go. And he says to those who love him, he says, you come in, enter, enjoy all that I have prepared for you. Because when I was hungry and thirsty, you gave me something to eat and drink. When I was naked and cold, you clothed me. When I was in prison or sick, you comforted me and you took care of me. And the people, Jesus says, will look at the king and say, when did we do that, Jesus? He says, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters, you did for me. Did you know that right now, the people who are watching our children and we worship, they are touching Jesus right now. The teachers who took care of our students in the last hour, they were touching Jesus. When you pick up the phone and you call that brother or that sister who is aching because of a loss of a loved one, I think about Sharon Ramsey. Her father died this week. When you reach out and you say, I love you, you are touching Jesus Christ. He says, whatever you've done for one another, you are actually doing for me. So what is it that changed John, he saw, he heard, he touched, and he got to continue touching Jesus after Jesus ascended to the Father, first with Jesus' mother. Isn't it interesting that Jesus calls us to follow and then gives us opportunities to practice what he's called us to do? Hey, John, before, before I even die, before I take my last breath, your next step is you touch me, you care for me by you caring for my mama. And he says to you and me, he says, if you want to go from a thunderous life to a loving life, it won't just be more time. It will be a a change in direction. You hear my voice. You know me intimately. And you touch one another. You care for one another. You find needs. You You become experts on the needs of those around you. And the inevitable change that will take place is you will go from someone who is known as a thunderous person or maybe just on the inside, maybe others don't even see it, but you know it. And on the inside, he's going to change you to become someone who's known by love. This is where it begins. Before it happens out here, God wants to do something in here. And John's going to say, I'm the case study. And all I did is I listened, I saw, and I touched Jesus. So for some of us this morning, here's the question. Evaluate yourself for just a moment here. Do you find that you're more thunderous with people? Or maybe the person you're thunderous toward is not people out there, but you just don't give yourself any grace. You're your own worst critic. You continually bring up things that God has already forgiven you of, God has already forgotten about. 
and you continue to speak to yourself in a way that no one else, no one else should speak to you. In fact, you talk to yourself, some of you, in ways that you would never talk to someone else. Where are you on this? Do you need to go back to the voice of Jesus and say, I am a beloved child of God. I have been forgiven because of what Christ did. I am eternally secure in the arms of God as an heir of God. And yes, can we talk about walking away from God? Sure, we can talk about that. But do I have a security knowing that God loves me? Yes. Are you here? And maybe just today, maybe just today. All we'll do, we're not going to take some massive change, but maybe today we'll just take a one-degree shift and we'll read We'll listen. We'll touch. But I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we're going to pray. We're going to talk to him and then let him talk to us. So if you will, let's stand. With every head bowed and every eye closed, our Father, we thank you that you give us the avenue to listen to our brother and Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, that we get to see his life, what is important to him, that he becomes the model, the prototype for the new humanity we get to be called into. And I thank you for John, who so very transparently talks to us about what changed his life and how knowing Jesus is so important. And he doesn't, he doesn't then say, now be like me. He says, I want to show you the one that has made me who I am. This is who I testify for. I pray for my brothers and sisters and my friends in this room and online that they will today take a deep breath, and wherever they are, from thunder to love, may they just go, I can listen, I can see, and I can touch. And as a result, they will be touched by you and changed. May we be a church known for love. In the name of Jesus, amen.